0: Welcome to Mind Love, episode 262. Today's episode is all about transmuting confusion into wisdom and other ancient Buddhist teachings for modern troubles. Plus, this episode's dropping on 1111, so it's got to be special, right? Confusion
1: feels mucky and hard to sit with and difficult to work with. And transmutation is the shift of awareness so that the awareness of the mind widens You have much bigger perspective about it. But often when we're really deep down and biting on a bone, right, and completely have a dog in the fight with whatever it is that we're holding on to, we can't even get there. So it's much like composting. I like the words composting. Alchemy is its normal, turning lead into gold. But much more practical is composting, where you take your leftover good food which is your life, out, and you stay with it in such a way and, and let it warm and bake and cook and transmute into the good earth and dirt that it is. That's transmutation. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love.
0: Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. If this is your first time giving your mind a little love, don't forget to hit the subscribe button. Mind love is a habit, and the more you give your mind that love and intention, the better you'll feel about yourself and your life. Plus, it's really a win-win because more subscribers means mind love attracts even more amazing guests to bring you their wisdom. So don't forget to subscribe. I keep finding that the more we go back to our roots, the easier everything becomes. Health, peace, Joy, connection. Yeah, so maybe not food delivery, but can we even be sure that these modern conveniences are actually improving our lives? Or are they just feeding our neuroses and justifying a life that has no time for basic things? Sorry, that tangent got a hold of me. We think we live in a modern world with modern problems, so clearly we need a modern solution. But what if that's not the case? I think we make things more complicated than they really are. And a big part of that is just perceiving them as more complicated than they are. Have you ever felt completely overwhelmed by something, only to finally stop procrastinating and sit down and plan it all out, and then suddenly it doesn't feel so complicated anymore? Because the pressure isn't all in your head, and you can actually see all the steps, even if you haven't taken them yet. That basically happens to me anytime I plan anything, (laughs) and I end up realizing that sitting down to plan is always the hardest step to approach. After that, everything becomes easier, or at least clear. But these days, our problems definitely look different than they used to. Technology improves so rapidly that we're running businesses completely differently than we were just a decade ago. We connect with friends differently. We commute differently. We find and consume information differently. And with all these new ways of doing things, there are new problems. So we must need new and different solutions, right? But what I see is that, for the most part, we have all the same problems, just wrapped in different colored bows. We have new ways to distract ourselves, but we still numb reality. We have new ways to engage in our social circles, but we still compare or have communication issues. We have new ways of presenting ourselves, like Instagram and Facebook, but we still try to be someone that we're not. We have new ways to dress ourselves or nip and tuck the parts of us that we don't like, but we're still too tough on ourselves. We have new ways to explore and define relationships, but we still have fears and challenges in them. We still have needs to manage and learn from our emotions. We still have deep desires for purpose. We still want to love and be loved. We still want to grow and learn through life. So yes, things might look very different on the outside, but inside, we're still the same souls seeking what they came here for from the beginning of time. And I've said this before, but it's worth saying again. People from ancient times had way more wisdom than our current society gives them credit for. Science is just now confirming things that ancient herbalists and medicine doctors knew thousands of years ago. And if you think about it, back then, they just had more time to ponder. Whereas now, we get bored after 30 seconds of silence and pull out our phones. The Buddha sat under a bodhi tree for God knows how long until he reached enlightenment. So let's give credit where credit's due, okay? So today we're tapping into the ancient teachings of Tibetan Buddhism to apply them to the modern challenges of everyday life. And our guest is Melissa Moore, PhD. She has three decades of expertise in leadership and leadership in karuna training and she's also the author of The Diamonds Within Us. So three key things we will learn are how we begin to develop equanimity or non-judgmental awareness, the four-step practice in Karuna training to lean into and stay with difficult emotional energies skillfully, and how to transmute confusion into wisdom. If there's one topic that keeps coming up in my women's circles, it's our hormones. Frankly, I think that between years of birth control or beauty products that mess with endocrine function, a lot of us are just out of whack. Estro Control is a formula developed by Happy Mammoth, a supplement company dedicated to making women's lives easier. It has science-backed herbal extracts that help support hormonal health, especially in women who suffer from PMS. The way EstroControl eases PMS is pretty interesting. The ingredients support the liver, and that's where our hormones get processed, especially estrogen. So when the estrogen isn't processed well in the liver, Women may start having PMS, spots on the skin, they get cravings, they feel low all of a sudden. Estrocontrol was created to help women feel like themselves all throughout the month because PMS can basically rob us of a week of our lives every month. Totally not fair. Estrocontrol is made specifically for women who are premenopausal, so it's perfect for women that haven't entered menopause yet. And in fact, it's amazing for perimenopause when hormones start to fluctuate and PMS can turn into a beast. I have been relearning myself postpartum. I just started my period again when my baby was 10 months and I forgot how wild these hormone changes can be. I wanted something to just maintain optimal hormone levels and help with mild mood swings, and estrocontrol is perfect for this. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com with promo code MINDLOVE at checkout. That's com, and use promo code MINDLOVE for 15% off your first order. And now let's welcome Melissa Moore to the show.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me. So give us a little background
0: on you and what brought your interest to contemplative psychology and
1: Buddhism. Uh, Well, I really wasn't looking for a spiritual path whatsoever. I sort of very much stumbled into it and it was very connected to a a kind of scene that was happening in Boulder, Colorado in the uh, 70s is when I, 79, it's when I stumbled into it, but it had been going on for a little while with this meditation master, kind of a very outrageous man, and he started Naropa Institute, which was had Allen Ginsberg, who was a poet, part of the Beat poets, and there was Barbara Dilly there, who was a dancer I had heard of, and other poets, Peter Orlovsky, and just just a lot of cool things happening that I learned about. And I went there actually accidentally to take a dance class, and then learned about it that way because I was in Boulder. So one thing led to another and I kind of got a whiff of something happening and I followed my instincts, (laughs) was not following my head and I knew that suddenly I wanted to go to Naropa. It just felt like the place to go. And um, at the time I'd been working in the record business and that was kind of really kind of going nowhere and lots of partying and outrageous behavior. And so the scene, the spiritual scene in Boulder was also outrageous, or I wouldn't have been interested in it. Uh, Now we know many, many years later that a lot of harm has been caused in those early years and along the way in our community. And um, so I have a lot of regrets about that too, in some sense, because I can look back with the eyes of the time we live in now and see... The recklessness of the times but at the same time for me I came out of a very reckless crazy situation and so I met this Tibetan Buddhist teacher this master and he kind of stopped my mind taught me instantly that wherever I went my mind was following me and that was very profound <laughs> to realize like oh, I have to be responsible for this. <laughs> you know? I have to take care of this. I cannot just be reckless here. It causes pain, not only to me, but to others. So um, that happened when I was about 24. I'm very fortunate. Uh, but it took me many years to... I was a very untamable person, so <laughs> I wasn't an instant meditator. I think now I know I had a lot of trauma in my body and I couldn't sit with it. Meditation is demanding, you know, it really requires a certain kind of stability and of capacity to meet things in your body. And I didn't have that developed when I came to the path. It took me many, many years, eight years probably, to learn how to follow a breath. So I'm very, I'm a good meditation for that reason, meditation teacher, and I've been teaching it for many, many years, and I'm very sympathetic to an understanding that, you know, how we come to meditation, it's not like we're trying to fit ourselves into a box. Often we do that, but it's not about doing it right. It's so much about learning how to listen to our bodies and listen to our synchronization of our breath and our mind and train ourselves.
0: It's so interesting that you talked about how there was a period of time that there was recklessness in the scene. I'm curious if you could go deeper. What what was reckless and what do you see now?
1: Oh, just a lot of promiscuity. A lot of drinking drugs were. I was coming from a drug culture, so actually I was cleaning up going into the Buddhist community. <laughs> That's so strange, but I was. And the and Chung Pripshe was drinking, so everybody was imitating him. And there was a lot of profound working with your mind at the same time. It wasn't just all frivolous. There was a lot of training happening, very arduous training. This guy had been in Tibet, you know. I mean, he'd been in a monastery. And now that I know a lot about his life, what I didn't really know when I was a young student, but I know a lot now because he's my root teacher and I've studied his work and gotten to know him and I have a long view on who he was. You know, he escaped Tibet when the Chinese invaded with 200 people, and most of them died on the Himalayan mountains by foot, chased by the Chinese. So he came into a refugee camp with so much trauma, you know, if we want to look at it from today's lens. And yet, you know, his understanding of brilliant sanity and basic goodness and pure mind was such his training that he could just kind of ride through that but they were starving they were thirsty they were starving in the refugee camp and now i know that they i heard this recently that they didn't even have water so they were drinking chong which is beer and we know how indigenous people's uh, bodies react to alcohol so now we know that 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 there's genetic uh interaction with that so you know and then he ended up in england and he He had an accident and he continued drinking, you know, and he got married to a young Western woman of of means. And he and he ended up in America with a lot of hippies around him in the 70s. Right. And he took these rebellious hippies and he got them wearing suits and ties and joining society and having businesses and having families. He was all about joining society, not rebelling against society. And I learned how to eat with a knife and fork. I kid you not. I grew up in Santa Monica with my mother who worked full-time eating with chopsticks before I could eat with a knife and fork. And so I was like, I've never had sit down dinners or anything. And suddenly I learned like a certain mindfulness of your life, right? The rituals of your life. The dignity of your life, the daily patterns of your life. He was in the midst of all this craziness, there was all that transmission happening too. So you can't, you can't say it was all reckless, but there was recklessness because we regarded everything he did as sacred. And, you know, while I'm not realized enough to know what what's true, for me, the medicine worked. But for others, I understand that there was harm and I feel bad about that. I think about that all the time from my compassion practice.
0: I have always been someone who's prioritized wellness. Well, at least what I understood about it at the time, which has definitely evolved. But now I live in a town where some of my conveniences just aren't as accessible as when I lived in L.A., Then I found Aloe Moves, and my whole experience changed. I've been an avid yogi for 16 years, but frankly, I am just underwhelmed by most online yoga. Their flows are either too easy or not varied enough. Well, Aloe Moves has everything. Of course, they have an endless selection of beginner content, since that is the category most people fall into, but they even have advanced and yoga teacher-focused content. They are the only online platform that I can find that I can narrow down the time that I'm looking for precisely. Like, I have 38 minutes today. What you got? (laughs) They have something for every mood. Trying to get a good sweat? Try their award-winning workouts like sweat-inducing yoga flows, HIIT classes, or Reformer Pilates workouts with or without weights. Or find stress relief with meditations, affirmations, face yoga, gua sha, dry brushing, and even journaling for those quiet moments. And when it comes to sleep, it's just as important as fitness and nutrition. Ever since I watched The Art of Sleep on Allo Moves, I've been falling asleep faster and staying asleep longer. So unlock your personal wellness routine with Allo Moves. Go to alloMoves.com now and use code MINDLOVE for an exclusive 30-day free trial. And enjoy 20% off an annual membership. That's alloMoves.com code MINDLOVE. AlloMoves.com code MINDLOVE. And now for another episode of Lies We've Been Told About Our Health. We've all heard we need 8 glasses of water a day, right? Well, hydration isn't actually about water intake. It's about the balance of water and electrolytes, so that our bodies are actually absorbing the water instead of just passing it through. A lot of people go for those sugary sports drinks, but let's be real, those do more harm than good. I've found a better solution. Element. Risk free. If you don't like it, you'll get your money back. No questions asked. Receive a free element sample pack with any order when you purchase through drinkelement.com slash mindlove. That's drinklmnt.com slash mindlove to get a free starter pack with any order. Right before I got on this call, I had like 20 minutes to myself and one of my friends is a creator and and she is putting out videos quite often. She's a writer as well. And she wrote this piece a little over a month ago and it just went viral. And the title of it is just, I regret being a slut. And the whole concept Mm -mm. around it is that she feels lied to by the women empowerment movement. And she makes it clear she does not speak for all women from this. There are women that she knows that can have uh, you know meaningless sex and and come out of it feeling empowered but I've known this person since I was in my early 20s and and she was a little bit older than me and we've we were living that time together and I was right there next to her and I thought I was empowered and we had such similar backgrounds both being sexually assaulted and and I feel like that was part of the way that I took back control of my body was because I, I couldn't this sounds so horrible, but I couldn't be raped if I never said no. And then if I was the one that was like looking for this or, and in a way, if I'm really honest and looking back at my past, I was never seeking a one night stand. If I had ever gotten a call back from any of them, I probably would have been very happy, you know, like, or or felt the worth in that. But instead it was just always this story that I was telling myself. And so this is the story that she told and I highly recommend anyone listening to Look It Up, Bridget Phetasy. I regret being a slut, and, uh, but it's just taken off, and people have been writing into her. She's reading user letters, and and oh. it just really goes to show you that we need so much discernment when we figure out what to follow, especially if it's popular. And it's so easy yeah. to be in this crowd of people with a guru, and, and everyone's looking at that guru as the one to follow. And I do believe that some, so everybody has something to teach, but there's such a a danger in believing that this one person holds the whole truth. You know, we each yeah. have a part of it. And then same with when all of society is pushing towards something it seems like no one's ever looking at what could possibly go wrong. And that's happening in so many cases right now. And so it was just so interesting. I literally was like, I should, I usually meditate like the last few minutes right before an interview. And instead I was like just finishing reading her thing and I put it down and I almost, I had a tear in my eye and then I was like, no, I need to go on an interview. And that was the first thing you said was this reckless parts of the times. And I was just like, apparently this needs to be talked about.
1: Well, it's interesting because this is the times we live in for whatever reason, maybe it's an evolution of consciousness certainly it's an evolution of feminism to understand that agency doesn't mean promiscuity. And so it was the pendulum swinging, you know, I mean, the pendulum, pendulum of society. And my mother was sexually wild. She was wild. And I saw that and I, it entertained me, you know, it was sort of like (laughs) she was, she was her having fun, you know, and, um, getting away from the stoic stuff from Missouri that she got away from that she escaped, you know, so she was being wild. And, but in reality I'm a serial monogamist. you know, I actually don't have reckless sex. I'm um, it, it means something to me and it's damaging when I do that or when I did that, it was not good for me. I, and I use so many drugs, drugs were part of that, right. Just to be disembodied enough. But I, I now know just knowing myself so well that, and in relationship, you know, and I'm in my fourth marriage, (laughs) but, and I'm very close to my exes because I really, the relationship meant more to me than the marriage, if you know what I mean. And so the, the, the marriages are over, but the friendships are deeper. And even my, my current marriage, but, and sexuality, it's something I'm still working with because of all this craziness in my youth. So this is the times we live in is this vision of um, where we have a longer time period of liberation. And now with the closing doors of Roe versus Wade uh, going awry and and the whole um, power over one's body, this, I don't know where we're going here. It's, It's a very curious moment, but you know, we have a bigger view if we choose that, if we can hold it open.
0: How do you work with that bigger view? And and what I found happens to me, and I'm sure a lot of people is, so say I, I come through this journey of having that experience and really fully believing, and this is just an example, but I was sexually empowered by this. Things didn't bother me. And then starting to change my mind about that. And one thing my friend Bridget and I were talking about is everyone's like, yeah, of course, when you ma- get married and have kids, you you change your mind about your past relationships. But I started to see that before. And it was actually part of the reason I feel like I was healed enough to find my husband.
1: A partner, yeah. But yeah,
0: it was just at least seeing that, you know, maybe this wasn't serving me. Maybe I need to do things another way. And I was doing things another way. But I'm still kind of uncovering the damage that was done uh, with my relationship with sex even. And so I come out the other side and a big part of me, it's my confirmation bias, maybe the ego that's like, this is how it is. Like that's just wrong. <laughs> you know, and it, it's hard for me uh-huh. to believe that that anyone else wouldn't just come to the same realization, you know? And so it's easy well, to become I, judgmental.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. Um, but you know, it's funny that you say this because I have a very dear friend who's young and she's Polyamorous with her partner, and they date other couples. And that has been, and she goes, I can't believe you're shocked about my sexuality. (laughs) And we're talking about, like, you know, the long view of things, because everything is based on consent. And it's very different. It's like a real choice. It's a very, I don't know the end story of all of it. So, but some people have more of a sexual appetite, so I think if there's a range and a choice and a consciousness that you can develop around it. I
0: spent some time in the polyamorous uh, communities. Uh, my one of my good friends and neighbors was all about it. Yeah, and my husband and I were even talking, like maybe this is another way to like open ourselves up and to maybe yeah. maybe we're just kind of closing ourselves in. And I was really contemplating that for a couple of years and spending time with a lot of people and by the time I was out of it I was like I feel like everyone's lying to themselves it happened again. My friend who introduced me to it, she ended up breaking down one night, and like turned out the a big reason for her doing that was because she didn't really feel worthy enough to secure one person. And again, this is mm. all anecdotal, and so it's just like all my mm. anecdotal experience is just like you know m- maybe it's worth exploring. Maybe this is something that yeah. that well, I is don't know meant for that opening up, but. I And then one of the people that I followed at the time, Aubrey Marcus, was all about it too. And then he ended up kind of having this realization. And now he looks back and he's like, that was one of the unhealthiest periods of my life. And so it is just interesting. But the question is less about what is that? Is that right or wrong? And more about... When you're going through something and you have such a stark realization, it's just so easy to fall into the trap of thinking, mm-hmm. well, this is the only way. And all the experience that I keep the being rebound. presented with yeah. is, yeah, is like confirming this, but I know yeah. that everyone's experience is different. So how do you kind of ju- jump into the non-judgmental
1: awareness? Well, that's great because that brings us back to contemplative psychology because the the work is, Uh, just awareness and perspective right and so the reason why we meditate isn't because it's a groovy thing to do (laughs) it is a great thing to do but it's and a lot of people use it for all kinds of reasons but the meditation that i teach is opened eye present moment synchronization of our body breath and mind which allows for a certain intelligence to dawn a wider intelligence, a more broad perspective that allows for a both and perspective instead of an either either or binary. So that's important. And so that means working with emotions. Like some of us are different in our reaction emotions. Some of us have long ago learned how to deaden emotions, don't feel anything. Some people feel everything and they think everything's their fault, you know? So we have to be on some spectrum and understand where we are with our emotional radar and how we go into interaction or reaction with people. A lot, your last podcast was very interesting about attachment and all of that. So much of that maps onto, can easily map onto contemplative psychology, but an understanding of our biases and how we've been conditioned And how we grew up and also how we live our life, how we get into patterns and rituals of the same kinds of concepts, like I'm not good enough or nobody loves me or whatever it is, you know, or some of the negative ones, but there's also pride. and And so we study this kind of things, how these things arise in us, in our relationship, in a group. What it does is kind of breeds a sense of humor because we're all doing it, you know. And the other is that it widens our mind to see like we don't have to follow every thought we have down the rabbit hole of solidity. We don't have to glam on and say, that's what I think, that's who I am, and that's what I believe. We could actually open up the space and go, oh, there's so many possibilities happening here. And my heart will close if I decide one way or another. So how do I stay open and compassionate? Because there's so much pain in the world. People are in such reaction, you know, really. When we get beyond ourselves and we open up to others, we start to see, oh, there's so much pain and reaction going on, you know? And uh, if we stay in equanimity, then that really brings a lot of balance and peace to the world. It's actually very residual. I believe that it's helpful. That is such a profound way to look at it.
0: And I don't think anyone's ever voiced it in that way of if I choose, if I identify with this one thing and then my heart closes. There's something about that that resonates with me. It's probably something I will use for the rest of my life. Oh, I
1: hope so. So often. Mind uh, love. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So often though,
0: I, I feel like my whole past has been like this Search for truth, and it started because uh-huh. of my religious upbringing that I just found a lot of holes in. And I, I was like, I yeah, feel like yeah. there's something more. And so, I'm like, There's I need to find the truth because this has been given to me as the truth. <laughs> yeah, and what I find as the wiser I get, as I open to spirituality, that the one truth I feel like is just love. Like, I don't know how deep
1: in the spirit It's like, That's the truth, and everything. Love else is true, love is, is true. Subjective. We have such an We have such an endless resource of love in us, but only if we're open. Yeah. And only if we stay with wide mind. Because otherwise we get so narrow and fuck this person and fuck that person. So it's just (laughs) like, you know, we get into the solid territory of me and I don't like what that publican has to say or whatever it is. And it's so narrow, you can't breathe. We can't breathe. We wall off ourselves. Why do you think we have
0: such this visceral reaction and we feel so closed when so many times the things that we're arguing over are things that literally do not affect us? For example, it does not affect me how other people engage in their relationships, but because of my life experience and what I've seen, which is a very limited perspective, I am aware of that, I feel like I'm right. It's like I have this voice when somebody presents this polyamorous relationship to me that's just like, oh, you poor soul. I I really hope you don't get hurt. (laughs) But I know that's just ego. And like I said, from a very limited perspective and also to make it even crazier, I do have one friend who seems to be in a healthy, loving, open relationship and she is a seemingly healthy, loving person. But somehow my brain will omit that when I'm thinking of evidence.
1: Well, probably you have pain there that you're projecting out, you know, you you have pain inside you that has accumulated. And now if you meet it externally, you think you project your experience on their experience, but it's never that way. And um, it's narrow-minded to think it is that way, but we don't, you know, we're very habitual creatures. So if we don't um, resolve these painful things in us which we have to you know we can't get around them we can't bypass the traumas and the things that we carry because our body remembers whether our mind does or not so we have to take time to bring a lot of loving kindness to our experience whatever it is even when we don't understand it And most of the time we don't so i i <laughs> i can get really critical and down that route this is why i can talk about it so well i can get so narrow-minded and negative particularly with headlines i have to be careful with headlines same (laughs) so i just go i just try and um i try to go to the most painful part of that uh whatever it is that i'm reacting to and just feel how painful it is why am i in such reaction because i usually because i feel so helpless i feel so helpless and i know that people are suffering so it's you know, that's good to feel that. That makes me stronger to feel the pain of the world. So that's different than getting, you know, I'm trying, I, this is what I, I work with all the time. But it's hard because we have a lot of conditioning and habits of being opinionated.
0: <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Confirmation bias is so real. And it's like the more time uh-huh. I spend studying things, the more likely I am to believe that I'm right with it. Yes, I've been married now for years and so I'm not finding other partners and I'm not doing all of really all of the things almost all every now and then I'll go down a Netflix rabbit hole but <laughs> that's my last numbing tendency but what I have what I'm realizing especially in the last few years is that I had sort of compartmentalized these these difficult mom- moments or these difficult emotions of of feeling pain from something that happened in my past feeling this but when it comes to that Sort of projection trigger where it's like, oh, these people, or this is happening in the news, and this is the new law that they're passing. I can't believe this. I forget that that's a difficult emotion that I need to work with. And I know that you have. It seems so justified. (laughs) Right. I'm just like, you're wrong, (laughs) and I'm
1: right, clearly. And so, (laughs) you know, that that could be fun. Yes. You have to kind of embrace that and say, okay. (laughs) <laughs> judging, judging people can be fun. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, judging—I mean, getting on our high horse yeah. can be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And and so, I know that you have a four-step practice to actually mm-hmm. lean into and stay with the difficult emotional energy. Because, like I said, I've uncovered this whole thing. I'm like, oh, that's still my own difficult emotion I need to work with. <laughs> Just because I yeah. think it's about other people doesn't mean it is. Yeah. So, what is that's that great. four-step process? Because I think I need a structure again. Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths a day. And get this, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases up to 100 times more polluted, according to the EPA. And did you know that air pollution is responsible for nearly 7 million premature deaths globally? So what's the solution? Two words living intentionally. We have to take full responsibility for every area of our lives, including our health, which also includes our air. And that's why I love my Air Doctor. As a reminder, when you support my sponsors, you also support the show. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants, so your lungs don't have to. This includes pollutants like allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, spores, and even bacteria and viruses. I live in the mountains and our air is pretty great. When I drive home, I can witness myself rising above the cloud of pollution that covers the rest of Southern California. But I know that even in the mountains, my home traps in the contaminants that my family brings inside. Plus, just sleeping one night with my air doctor, I could actually feel the difference. Air Doctor comes with a 30 day breathe easy money back guarantee. So if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. So head to Air Doctor Pro and use promo code MIND. And depending on the model, you'll get up to $300 off. You're saving up to $300. Lock this special offer by going to A I R D O C T O R P R O dot com and use promo code MIND. That's promo code M I N D. I know that you have a four-step practice to actually lean into and stay with the difficult emotional energy. So what is that four-step process? Because I think
1: I need a structure again. <laughs> okay. So in the beginning, we have to come present and and begin to identify just whatever energy is going on in our body. So instead of usually when we have an emotional reaction or when we're pointing the finger at others... We're in our heads, you know, and we're thinking about things and we've already gone skyrocketed into opinions and and all kinds of theories. But so the first step is coming really present and really kind of doing a body scan to see where in my body is the energy pooling. Often it's several places, but we can usually pick one place in our bodies where we might feel something you know that's prominent like if we're getting angry we might feel it in our throat or we might feel it in our gut or we might feel something in our heart wherever it might be our head people are different so wherever it is you identify that's the first step and you're you're present with it you're not trying to label it you're not trying to fix it out you're not trying to push it down you're not trying to act it out those are the those are the options. If you act it out, you're just adding fuel to the fire. If you're suppressing it, you're you're not listening, right? So it's feeling, identifying the energy. Like it might just be a sensation or you feel like you can't breathe, whatever it is. Usually this can be very hard for people, this first step, because people are so disembodied. So we spend a lot of time in Karuna really finding where in our bodies can we feel the energy step one step two is we become very curious about it we hold it with absolute loving kindness and get curious it's like putting it's like if you found a baby bird on the ground and you picked it. recently we found a baby squirrel actually that had fallen out of its nest on our my husband so lovingly went and looked on the internet and then he found out you put it in a You put it in a warm blanket and put it in the bottom of the tree. If it's still breathing, maybe the mom will come get it. And we we did that. So that's how you hold these emotions with this incredible, loving, tender care. And you just, it's the opposite of what you would normally do because believe me, I've been fighting squirrels all summer with my garden. (laughs) So this is like moving close. The second step is moving close to the energy of being so loving and curious about it and and, and being putting a container of loving kindness around it. And then the third step is you've gotten, is when you bring that much attention to the energy, it begins to, energy is dynamic by nature. It moves, it's not stagnant. It's always moving and it's impermanent and it changes. So you bring it intentionally to your heart, to wisen us, to bring it to awaken us, to bring the full wisdom of what's true about whatever it is we're feeling to inform us. We don't even have to figure it out in our head. Just bring it into the heart. The heart is much better brain than this one. So we let it permeate us. And then we purposely, when we're ready, doing this on our own time, we notice where we are in the room, bring ourselves present and allow the space to just receive and dissolve and come back to the present moment and just know that we have don't have to figure everything out in our head that we can work with the wisdom of energy through our embodied presence and love.
0: I love the idea of bringing it to your heart in order to receive the wisdom. Yeah. Little things like that get me. <laughs> Those are the things that stick with me. I'm like, okay, now move it to my heart. But why? Oh, yeah, the wisdom. <laughs> and so <laughs> <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. All, And we think that, you know, we have to get rid of our anger. Anger is there for a reason. It's how we say no. To ourselves and to others, we need to say no, right? You have a, a toddler; <laughs> you have yeah, to, say I need no. to, learn how to say no.
0: <laughs> Come back to me in a few years when he's a little less cute, and then I'll have said no. But one thing I do resonate with is I remember doing a breathwork ceremony uh, years ago. And it was a heart opening breath work where you breathe into your belly and kind of move it up and you just did it for like an hour. Oh, yeah. And I Ooh. felt this very clear opening and I just started yeah. sobbing. And yeah. so it's something that I've been aware of since is I yeah. do believe energetically I have at least at one point, I think it's in the process of opening, I think I still have work to do of opening up my heart, of yeah. of kind of removing that blockage because I can still feel yeah. it there and I and I know... I get into these modes where it's triggered and I I feel very closed off from it. And it doesn't mean I'm not giving love to the people around me, but it's like I can't feel the receiving of love maybe.
1: Yeah. Well, one thing is we have to look at our daily rituals because I'm really a big believer that we're not resourcing ourselves enough on a daily basis to meet the challenges and the information that we're holding. So we all have our particular challenges, like you have children, and we all have our challenges that we must be responsible for, whatever that might be. So there's those duties. But then there's the duties of the world that we're facing right now and the changing times that we live in and the fact that the truth that the immigration issues are... That's why we see all these right-wing heavy leaders showing up it's because of borders it's all about immigration and borders because people are coming because of the hurricane that's going on in florida right this moment and so just we must be collaborators with the energies of this world and we must learn how to live with them because they're not going away we have to be stewards now and i feel very strongly about this and i feel it's maybe the most important part of what we're working with to prepare for the times that we're living in it's not the 80s anymore you know it's we're in a very different time so uh this this is on my heart a lot and I'm really looking for ways to find so this is one of the reasons I'm doing a lot of podcasts and this is a totally new medium for me for me but i'm i'm willing to go there because i feel like often what i teach should be taught in kindergarten to children is how to work with their energy in such a way that they become wise not shut off how and, would you teach that to a child oh well i would like when some a child has pain I would get them to describe it to me. Where is it in their body? What do they feel? What's going on? And can we make a a place for that and have it be our teacher? Can we be close with that energy? And I would teach them to uh, learn how to relate to their bodies as teachers and open up to the world um, and understand that emotions come and go and that we need to feel them, not suppress them and not act them out either when we're angry. You know when a kid's angry or something, and then that's a time to really get them to feel their anger. And but you know you have to have good communication skills. And sometimes kids are very different. They can be very ADHD. I mean, my neighbor's child who was born during COVID. I really believe the masks were really an issue for people. Studies are, sh- are
0: sh- proving that what everyone yeah, was they- screaming right when it was happening, and everyone called them crazy or focusing on the wrong thing. And now it is very clear. Every study shows yeah. that the kids that were masked are a year behind.
1: Yeah. And and that whole thing. So the verbal thing, but I think, you know, my neighbor's child, she's so kinesthetically awake. Like this child is in her body and moving and moving. And I said, okay, then we have to learn to communicate like that, right? That's great. That might be an evolution. <laughs> you know, It's just yeah, I don't know. I didn't have children, you know, So I had many, many students, but they're adults, even though they act like children sometimes.
0: Well, I will but say I that never
1: had children.
0: having a child, it's made me a better communicator with adults I bet because that. I think so so often we overcomplicate things. And the way you just yeah. described how to teach that to a child, the way that most adults need to see it. And and, and then you want to go deeper and you want to know the whys and a different way to look at things and something that resonates and that's true, but it comes back to those basics. And then watching them, so often you see these basic things reflected that I like, I didn't even understand before. Just like, or like uh, he'll be throwing a tantrum and I'm like, inside I'm throwing a tantrum as well. (laughs) You're you're actually maybe, you're maybe handling it better than I am. I'm just getting (laughs) passive aggressive. At least you're screaming.
1: (laughs) You know, um, one time, um, I, I did this program in Spain and, uh, we had a children's version of it and we were out doing these maitri postures. If you read my book we take different postures and it teaches you about space awareness and the different energies, the different energies of each of the elements of space and water and earth and air and fire. So we were doing these things and then the children had their own like daycare situation. But I have to say the kids became the absolute teachers with the elements like they understood them so much better than the adults it was amazing. They were able to like, they got all the adults playing in the mud one day (laughs) and just, you know, the direct play of it and the direct access to elemental energy. I think children really have a handle on that. So since
0: we're there, give us an intro of what elemental energy is and how it can help us or how we can practice. with. Well,
1: we, we use an ancient mandala that comes from um, tradition called the Faya Buddha family mandala. And this was offered to Western students by Trungpa Rinpoche to work with this notion of space awareness. So the outer aspect of the elements, uh, outer aspect of this mandala are the elements. In the center is space, and everything arises from space and dissolves into space. So it's the birthing place and the charnel ground of life. And then, and everything is existing within it. And then you have in each direction, in the east you have water, and that's a certain kind of energy. In the south you have earth, and that's a certain kind of energy. In the west you have fire and that's a certain kind of energy and in the north you have wind and so that's just a typical mandala it's a little different in the native american you know it's a similar kind of the medicine wheel is is a similar kind of mandala but in we're not looking at our particular types because there's also the inner aspect of this mandala has emotional energies and the energies um very much replicate the elements so like water can get very cold, like cold anger. It can be, or hot anger. Um, it can be boiling. It can be frozen. It can be boiling. It can be flowing. It can be very reflective, like a mountain lake. And its wisdom is mirror-like wisdom, the a capacity to reflect things exactly as they are, like water can. That capacity of mind to reflect accurately is the wisdom. So that's the mind aspect. So we study the elemental body, the energetic speech, the, the energies, the uh, emotions, and the mind transformation, how that happens, the transmutation of confusion into wisdom. And so knowing the elements is the basis. And this is what children know. You know, not, There's nothing in the world not made of the elements from this. So it's And Trungpa Rinpoche once said, if if we understood how all the elements work together, we would understand everything there was to know about karma. We would understand all cause and effect and the laws of that. And that is a very profound thing. So we have the capacity as human beings to communicate. We're not separate from the, the wisdom of the world. The wisdom of the world knows the cycles of the moon and the sun and the trees know when to change and... You know, birds know when to build their nests. We're part of that wisdom. And so we've delegated that a lot to priests and to Rinpoche's and to various therapists and various people. But we know it much longer than we've forgotten it. It's deep in our cellular knowing. So in Karuna, we we work very hard to come back to that knowing by working with mandalas and doing these space awareness practices, which is just further mind training and uh, heart training.
0: And so say somebody had a deep emotion and they wanted to work with that. Is it more about just sort of tuning in and asking for the wisdom of what element that this pertains to, or is it? No, no, not really. It's,
1: it's more studying over time and becoming familiar with energies. And so when you have a big emotion, you go right to the body and feel. There's nothing more to do. Get out of the head and get into the body and feel it, accommodate it, befriend it. Don't look for answers at all. That gets in the way. You know, don't worry about what element it is. Just be with the energy and feel it. It's got something to teach us through feeling.
0: Yeah, that makes so much sense because so yeah. often we go into like we've read so many books that
1: it's like right, oh we well pull it's this our medicine or it's that. cards out <laughs>
0: yeah and it's like wait but now now you've just worked yourself up you're madder than when you started yeah. <laughs> like you, you feel more right than when you started there's no wisdom here because you were in your head the whole time and so exactly. how do you work with a the mandala then uh, I I hear about that quite often I've never done it. But is it it's just more of a meditation technique of kind of letting your-
1: no no it's like learning that it's all a circle with the center and and a, and a, and, a, and a, there's always a, a mandala happening. Your household is a mandala, right? There's a center of your household. It might be the kitchen, might be the playroom. Who knows, right? So an understanding there's a center and a circumference. So that's all mandala means. But sacred mandala, like the five Buddha families, has real intention and practice and purpose. And then other mandalas that you can find, such as uh let's see, such as this Tibetan art mandala. I don't know if this is on camera, but anyway, I'm showing a picture of karma pakshi. So these energies in Tibetan art are always aspects of your own mind that's what people don't understand. They're, they're, they're uh, personifications of real wisdom in your own mind. And this particular wisdom is wrathful compassion, that there are times that you need to take a stand and say no. And it cuts through a lot of confusion. And so each of these things, so that's a mandala. That's showing you a mandala, right? And um, so that's a meditation technique. So this is now how we use it in Western or like in on my desk. If you were to see my desk, I have little mandalas everywhere <laughs> because I have certain things that I'm working on. Like I'm putting out my book. I want it to be successful. So I'll build a mandala. I understand the energies and I'm familiar with how it works. So I can utilize the mandalas that way in my life. Does that make sense? It does. and.
0: <laughs> One thing I love diving into different religions. And when I was uh, studying something, one of the religions that has multiple gods, there's something about it that I'm like, I totally understand why this calls to people. Because when I grew up in the religion I was born into, there's so much of give it to God. And I... I have a different relationship with that now. There's moments that I greatly respect it because you know it's just out of your mind. Just like we we're just right. talking about, you're not. You're not. It's like lean not on your own understanding. So you just give it over here. But that doesn't always work <laughs> for everybody, you know. And so
1: there's well, I something that can s- be very powerful. I mean, yeah. obviously, are so many people are using that.
0: But for I the think- multiple gods, it's like. Uh, there's something to be said about having this one specific thing, this one specific God that deals with this one specific thing. And so when I'm dealing with it, feeling in tune with that, and I was studying <laughs> the goddesses and and the goddess oh, of this oh, and the yeah. goddess of that. And yeah. and I, I went through this month of having all my meditations. We're like, okay, well, what am I feeling? Which goddess is that? And then kind of tuning uh, into that. and That's nice. It was a yeah. whole different energy. And so I, I appreciate the mandala of of like, this is this is this particular thing that I'm yeah. working on, and that's the energy that I'm going to bring in.
1: Yeah, well, I've always been very interested in all of these things and the occult and different systems and have studied Native American and all kinds of different paths. I got that from my mother. My mother did that. She was really a spiritual seeker. But I really feel like the most important thing about all of it is that, and, and this is very Buddhistic, we don't the, those gods are not external, they're aspects of ourselves and our abilities. That's why my book is called The Diamonds Within Us. It's like we have these incredible talents and yours are very unique to, than mine are, right? So we each bring something to this life and we're here to do some kind of, we would say, Buddha activity, right? Some kind of good work in the world, like your podcast is doing such good work. And so I think, you know, in finding ways to express that in our body, speech, and mind, everybody, that might happen in a Pentecostal church or I don't know what. I think there's so many paths. Again, keeping that really wide mind, Mm -hmm. you know. But one thing is in Karuna, even though it's drawing on Tibetan Buddhism, Nobody has to be a Buddhist at all to study this or in it learn anything about meditation or contemplative psychology. It's very non-denominational. We're not a spiritual path. We're a training, complete training with continuing education, and you get a certificate in contemplative psychology. It's a real deal. You know, it would be what you would study if you went to Naropa, contemplative psychotherapy. Only you're not learning to be the therapist. You're just learning all the. Tools in the ancient recipe for opening your heart and living with an open heart and being beneficial to others. That's what we're up to.
0: <laughs> I love that. And and it makes so much sense the because that's how I identify with the whole concept of God. That it's this yeah. and so that was a big shift for me that oh I don't always God. align with with my mother, <laughs> you know, yeah. where where I'm like, yes. And and so I've been I've been really focusing on where our beliefs coincide and trying to bring that to light so it's not such this hot topic, but doesn't Uh, always work. But I Is your mom
1: there with you? Is she listening to your podcast? (laughs) Not this episode.
0: (laughs) No. (laughs) No, she'll tune in sometimes. She's like, did you bring me up again?
1: I'm like, ah maybe this episode won't make it to the air. No.
0: No, she knows she knows all the all the things I say on the show, I say very much to her, but yeah. I there's so much about her path that I appreciate the dedication yeah. to it, and I and I learn from it. But for me, I need something more, and I respect that it works yeah. completely for her. That's and so great. that's a, it goes back to what we were talking in the very beginning of like yeah. trusting that just because something doesn't work for me doesn't mean it doesn't work for somebody else. And just and I I just want yeah. that same kind of acknowledgement back. But I wanted to ask one more thing that you you said that I just want you to go deeper however you feel called to. But you talked about the transmutation of confusion into wisdom. Yeah, yeah. What what comes up when I just ask, what does that mean?
1: <laughs> well, confusion into wisdom, right, is like when we're in our confused state, when we're in our habit mind, when we're in our I'm not good enough or they don't like me or I don't belong or whatever it is, the variation on the theme of constricted and in ourselves and 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 not feeling good or angry about something whatever it is whatever direction it takes that's confusion right that feels mucky and hard to sit with and difficult to work with and transmutation is much like it all it means really is a shift of awareness so that the awareness of the mind widens and you become much more perspective you have much bigger perspective about it but that often when we're really deep down and biting on a bone right and completely have a dog in the fight with whatever it is that we're holding on to we can't even get there so it's much like composting I like the the words composting not alchemy as it's normal you know lead turning lead into gold but much more practical is composting where you take your Left over good food, which is your life, out and you stay with it in such a way and, and let it warm and bake and cook and transmute into the good earth and dirt that it is. That's transmutation, right? And so, but that can happen in a very quick moment. You know, it usually happens because you get popped, you know, you're walking around. It can be very tiny pops, like just... This morning I was in a real hurry. We had the contractor upstairs and I ran downstairs and I noticed every one of my kitchen cabinets was standing open. (laughs) And I was like, okay. (laughs) You know, you can just see your mind, right? And just kind of, okay, I need to slow down here. This is silly, you know? Or it can be really big things that you've been holding on to, and suddenly you just get that you're just being an ass you know, or or you're just, you know, like a dog with a bone. So there's so many opportunities when we're dug in deep that we're in confusion, where things are confused. You don't know what to do with your child. You don't know what to do with your parents. You don't know what to do with, you know, you have to make decisions, right? And you don't know what to do. Don't do anything. Sit with it. Be with it. <laughs> it's so difficult. But I'm- practical, yeah, and, and there's so much
0: wisdom to be found in learning to sit with discomfort in general, and totally, I don't think we yeah. realize how often the discomfort is just like internally created. We, yeah, and we really. want to project it onto everything around us. Your house isn't big enough. My kids aren't behaved enough. Don't make enough money. But most of the turmoil is actually just whatever our thoughts and our mind is coming yeah. up with about the circumstances. <laughs>
1: So there's, there's, and this is something that Buddhism teaches that there's, there's um, four types of suffering you cannot avoid as a human being. That's birth, old age, sickness, and death. Birth, old age, sickness, and death. Those come with the contract of being alive, right? And those are suffering. There's real, there's real suffering when death occurs, especially if it's a tragic death. There's can, even though, Birth is always celebrated, and our there can be new beginnings are very hard and difficult, and they cause pain. And old age, or anything wearing out, whether it be the house, the kitchen sink, or our bodies, and death. I mean, you know, birth, old age, sickness, and death comes with the contract. Then there's all the things we do to avoid those things. <laughs> you know, it's like the extra things we do, not to look old, not to Making sure that we don't, it just goes on and on, right? Uh, All the ways in which we add a hat on top of a hat, on top of a hat. We keep adding things that cause us a lot of suffering. So we always have to distinguish what kind of problem is this really? And pain am I, because like losing a child is, is real pain that has to be sat with for a very long time. There's just no answer to that tragedy, right? And so it goes, that's not neurotic pain. That's, that's the truth of being human. So it's like that. That's how I, I think of it. I hope that's helpful. It is helpful, and yeah. there's yeah. so many things that we
0: can work with from this episode, and and even more in your book that we didn't even get to touch on. So for listeners that are interested in learning more about you and your book, where's the best place
1: for them to connect? It's at Amazon. It's available both in paperback and in uh, on um, Kindle as and, and as well in Audible. I read it so it's also available that way it all comes through Amazon I'm afraid I should make it available other ways it's available in a few bookstores but so very local so <laughs> so that's the best way
0: All the links for this episode will be at mindlove.com/262 Your challenge for this week is simple It's just to find a little stillness. The reason I'm choosing this as a challenge is because it's in that place of stillness that we allow our higher selves to come through. Without the stillness, we don't have the time or the space to transmute our confusion into wisdom. We don't have the time or the space to allow our survival mode, our fight or flight to dissipate in order to Find a more meaningful action or allow our higher selves to shine through. So this week, just focus on that stillness. Whether you're carving out space for stillness or you're just taking a deep breath before you react, you are not picking up your phone when you have the first inclination and instead just bask in the space around you. Feel your own energy. Allow yourself to reach boredom. I found that one of the best things I can do with my free time is to actually get comfortable with it. Get comfortable with the space. Get comfortable with the boredom. Because you never know what exists there if you're always filling it up with other things. And let me know how it goes. Maybe we can find some space together. Reach out to me on Instagram at mindlovemelissa. Instagram is where I share a little bit more about how I use the tools from Mind Love in my personal life. So, yes, there's baby photos. There's going to be a lot of baby photos for the next few years, but they're always accompanied with some sort of insight on how I'm using these teachings. So, if you are looking for more inspiration or motivation to apply some of the things you learn on the Mind Love podcast, in your day-to-day activities, definitely hit me up on Instagram or follow me there. You can also join Mind Love Premium at mindlove.com premium. There's gonna be a lot of changes to premium around the first of the year, so get in now. That's mindlove.com premium. And other ways to support the show is by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, which is one of my favorite ways of supporting. I just love hearing how Mind Love is changing you or affecting you because it's probably my biggest motivation for showing up at the mic several times a week, or you can support one of my amazing sponsors at mindlove.com sponsors. And that's all for today. So thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift
1: to keep your vibes up until next week.